ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वसुदेवाय ओम माय बाउ टू द लॉर्ड वसुदेवा हेलो फ्रेंड्स आई वुड लाइक टू रीड from chapter 2 of the bhagavad gita o parta arjuna one who has put away all desires being wholly contented in the self may be considered settled in wisdom he whose consciousness is unshaken by affliction it is not excited by good fortune who no longer hungers for earthly affection and is without fear and anger such a man qualifies to be considered a muni of, of steady discrimination he who under all circumstances is without attachment and is neither elated by goodness nor depressed by evil is a man of established wisdom the <clears throat> the state of wisdom we must understand is not only an absolute state but it's something that we we can affirm at every point of our lives and every point of our spiritual progress this is one of the beautiful things about patanjali's um eightfold path or eight limbed path of yoga people think of it as a system they speak of patanjali's eightfold system of yoga it's not a system these are stages which everybody who seeks god must achieve progressively as he moves toward god yam niyama the do's and the don'ts of religion not wishing harm to anybody not desiring what you don't possess not being attached to your own possessions being self-controlled and so on being pure in thought pure in heart truthful kind etc all these are the do's and the don'ts and then the state of asana when the mind when the body is completely still asana does not mean just the yoga postures that system was invented on the basis of this simple thought in patanjali but what he really meant was to be able to keep your body still and with your spine erect and this state doesn't require doing all the different poses that are a part of hatha yoga which for all that is a wonderful system and very good not only for the body as most people think of it but i myself have created on the basis of my guru's teachings something that i call ananda yoga which teaches through yoga postures to affirm mental states each one associated with a particular posture so that you understand the influence of the body on the mind and the mind on the body and then comes pranayama which means control of the energy and the withdrawal the ability to withdraw that energy from the senses the sense telephones as my guru used to call them and then pratyahara which is the interiorization of the mind so that not only is the mind no longer seeking outwardly the energy is withdrawn and finally your mind is turned within and only then can you really meditate you have dharana which we can say is a um be able to concentrate one pointedly on let us say the sound of om in really or the inner light beheld here and then comes dhyana which is true meditation merging in that 
And then when you finally have merged, lost your self-consciousness in samadhi, this is the highest stage. And there are two stages of samadhi. The lower you go into that state of oneness, but you still remember that your ego, which is a very insistent part of you, is very difficult to get rid of. Only you can finally say, I, I leave it. I give myself completely to God. And it's not easy to reach that state. But that is that the lower state is a sabhikalpa samadhi. And then the higher state, nirbhikalpa samadhi, asamprangyata samadhi, where you go beyond the ego and realize that you are he who became the whole universe. But now those are, those are stages which everybody must follow regardless of his spiritual path and regardless of whether he goes by devotion or wisdom or work or whatever it may be. But there is another aspect to it which I would like to introduce here because it's very important. These are not things that you achieve only sort of click, 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 click. You must affirm them at every stage of your progress so that even while practicing yam and niyama, while not trying to harm people, for example, in practicing ahimsa, feel that the reason you're not practicing them, you don't want to hurt other people, is that you're already that. Feel your oneness with people. Feel your, your uh, identity with truth because you know that only truth is, and therefore you won't want to tell untruths. Actually, the teaching of this is the yama, not to be untruthful, but if you're not untruthful, you'll naturally be truthful. This was the thinking. When you don't desire anything, it helps to affirm that thought in your mind that uh, you have everything already. What do you need? And when you understand that you don't have anything, even your own body, even your own ego, there are stages of understanding of each of these things which take you all the way up to samadhi. If in your ego, in this physical state, while working and living in this world, you think of yourself as the infinite. You think yourself one with God doing these things. This is right. This is not wrong. This is what my guru told us. Memorize my poem, Samadhi. Repeat it every day in your meditations. And always feel that that is your reality. When he said, the little thought of, of bondage, the little thought, I am not free, is what keeps a person from being free. And one of his disciples then said, but sir, if I said I'm free, I wouldn't be free, would I? And my guru said, oh, yes. But the thing is, you've answered your own question. You've said, I wouldn't be. It's very difficult to get rid of the ego. And then he told that story about this man who was being bothered by a demon. And he remembered that in the Vedas, there is a certain mantra, if you, if you repeat it, over some powder and throw the powder onto the demon, it will disappear. And so he did this and set his mantra into the powder and threw it on the demon. And the demon laughed. He said, before you could even get, say your mantra over the powder, I myself got into the powder. So how could you affect me? And that is a symbol. It's not a true story. It's an allegory. True, maybe, I don't know. But the allegory is this, that the very ego with which you are trying to dispel your ego is already infected with the very disease, the very delusion you are trying to get rid of. And this is why it's so difficult to get out of ego. That's why there is a definite need for a guru. 
somebody who attunement in attunement with whose consciousness you can feel your own conscious becoming more and more freed of that sense of self. You become identified with the Guru. In Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi, he speaks of being with his, uh, with the disciple of Ramana, of uh, Ramakrishna, and uh, M, he's called, Mahendranath Gupta, actually. And he was a householder disciple. And my guru wrote that his thoughts were such, so attuned to his guru that he no longer thought of his thoughts as his own. A very interesting and a very important statement. If you read Autobiography of a Yogi with very close attention, you'll see that many thoughts are thrown in there as if thrown away. Deep thoughts, if you meditate on them, they each one of them will be enough to lead you to wisdom. And this attunement with the guru and feeling that it's his thoughts, this is what I do with my guru. I don't think of myself as doing these things, he's doing it. And the more I do that, the more I find that it is he doing it through me. And I have only to ask a question, I know the answer. It didn't come from me, didn't come from studying. He gave it there. Having a true guru is the greatest blessing, Shankara said, in the three worlds, the causal, the astral, the physical. Because he, ordinary teachers help you to become good at what they're doing. But a teacher, a true guru, helps you become one with himself. And what he is, you become one with the infinite. And so, one who has put away all desires, the guru has no desires. Think of yourself as being like the guru. But you do have desires in this world. This is the nature. This is why you've come back to this world. So what are you going to do while you have these desires? Well, one thing that I have recommended, and I think it's very helpful, I found it so, is mentally every night to build a bonfire and then throw every attachment, like a burr that may have been uh, caught in your clothing when you walked in the countryside and brushed against a bush. Throw all these things, pick them out of your heart and throw them into the fire. One woman said, well, I tried that with attachment to my house and I visualized the house being burned and I, the house was actually burned in the fire, burned to the ground. I said, well, yes, that would be a very probable result if you're affirming that. What you must do is not affirm the burning of the house, but the burning of your desire for that house. That's more subtle. But uh, you will find that if you can do that day after day, there will come a great sense of freedom. I don't, I'm not loaded. I remember my father, I was saying to him one time that people aren't happy. He said, nonsense, I'm perfectly happy. Well, he didn't know what the meaning of that word perfectly was. He was happy because he wasn't in the hospital. His last year of life was very unhappy because he was very ill. This kind of happiness is fragile. The divine happiness is not. When you have no desires, then you have no fears. And so it is that any time that there is something that you fear, think about, when, think about having that fear fulfilled. Whatever it might be, people might butcher you, they might put you in prison, they might try to get your mind in that frame where if it happened to you, which it might, there is no horror in this world that is not possible to man. And who knows when karma can strike it? It can strike like that, from one moment to the next. 
Always keep that thought in mind, but keep in mind also the thought, could I accept it? If you come to that with the practice of, yes, I can accept it, train your mind to think of the worst possible things that might happen to you, and then say, I accept it. Burn it up in the fire, give it to God, realize that you aren't this body. You can become wise in this way too, not by having just a vision of God that forces you to that, well, it doesn't force you, but certainly makes, you, makes it impossible to, for you to think that this world is real. But think of it that way even now when it seems so real to you. Affirm these realities. As, as Shakespeare said, affirm a virtue, though you have it not. This is not hypocrisy. If you affirm, there was a woman, my guru laughed in telling the story. She uh, had read in the Bible, that if your hand offends, you cut it off. So she found herself stealing with the right hand. So she actually cut her right hand off and she began stealing with her left hand. It's the tendency you've got to get rid of, not the outer form. But if you get rid of this tendency and if you face the worst thing that could happen to you, you'll gradually prepare your mind so that when things happen to you, you can take them. But in fact, it will re bring you to that point where even if it doesn't happen, you'll feel more and more free in your heart. This is why I myself practice. I don't recommend to others when I go to the dentist. I just don't think of this body, of this moment, of this tooth, of this, this pain. It just, uh, I just don't think of that. I accept it. And I find that that's a very good practice for accepting worse things. I, I remember one time somebody said to me, because I've written a lot of music in my life, and somebody said to me, well, you can afford to write happy songs, you've never suffered. I said, it's because I have suffered and learned the lesson of suffering, that I have a right to write happy songs. You must understand that the more you are detached from everything, when you eat, think that he is eating through you. When you walk, think that he is walking through you. It's a very good practice Sometime in the evening when, the, when it's, it's becoming a little dusk and you don't see things quite so clearly, take a long walk in silence. Don't be with friends, just be alone. And just feel that as your body is moving, it's his energy that is moving your body. Every thought that you have, share it with him. And any impressions that come to you, perhaps a car horn or a dog barking in the distance or a breath of wind on your skin or whatever it might be, Share this with God. Don't think necessarily he's doing it. Just, this is something I'm sharing with you, God. You'll begin to feel that he's talking through you through, that, through those sounds. You'll begin to feel that there's a great consciousness, a sort of a symphony in which you're just one instrument playing. And the more you can reach this point of being completely detached from everything, watching everything, enjoying everything. Yes, you don't want to, I'm trying, not trying to give you a sense of apathy towards life so that you see a beautiful sunset and, oh God, another sunset. You don't think that way. You enjoy everything much more because then there isn't any longer the thought that you may lose it someday. When you're afraid of losing something, then you're already suffering. And even in our worst periods, this presence of good and evil, of pain and pleasure, of dvaita, of duality, is always present. I, I remember some of the most difficult periods of my life 
there was always some sort of thought in the back of my mind, I've got something to tell people. It's what gives spice to your life. I was at a concert in Carnegie Hall in New York, and I had a little dictation machine, and I thought I'd try to see if I could pick up, even though it was only a dictation machine, the uh, symphony being conducted. Strictly forbidden to record, but I didn't think about that. I just pushed the button. Unfortunately, I pushed the wrong button, and it was during a pause between two movements of this symphony of Smetana. And all of a sudden, because when I'd bought this thing, the person had recorded to see if it worked, and all of a sudden in this hall, loudly, the sound came, hello, testing, one, two. It got up to four before I could find the stop button and turn it off, and the whole hall was filled and the conductor whirled around, and I was extremely embarrassed, of course. But in the back of my mind, there was this little thought, boy, this is going to make a good story to tell, and it is a good story. And in the most painful things in life, there's always that little sort of pleasure of, well, I've got a story now. Aren't the most novels about wartime and terrible things? We Somehow there's pleasure in pain and there's pain in pleasure. Everything is a dual thing. Remain detached and you'll find yourself you can enjoy everything because everything is just a part of the great show of God. Joy to you.